Right now, though, time to talk books. And Elizabeth Easter, who's been working as a producer on the afternoon's show, joins me now. Hi. Hi. Actually, you do all sorts. Actor, you help me out here. Actor, producer, travel writer, playwright, uh, plus more to be announced in the near future. (laughs) Yes. So you do everything. And I guess that's part of being in the arts in New Zealand, right? The more you can do, the better, because one thing will fall over and you go, well, I'll just do my other thing for a Indeed. So Mm. it's like having a buffet. I can, a smorgasbord of professional uh, jobs. Yeah. Never hungry. And you, you didn't come in to talk about this, but tell me about the Shortland Street character Carla and the impact that that has had on your life. How often would you get called Carla? People don't so much call me Carla, but they just go, where do I know you from? Or or you're her, or they think they went to school with me. And undoubtedly, when I die, there will be on my headstone, uh, she played Carla. Yeah, because you're from the old school when everyone used to watch Shortland Street and everyone knew who everyone was. And, you know, quite a significant moment in New Zealand history, really. Oh, absolutely. You wouldn't be in the olden days when everyone watched television at a particular time, even with video recorders. Yeah. If you rang someone at seven o'clock on a weeknight. They would literally hang up if they answered at all. Yeah. And did you relish playing such a, I was going to say detestable character, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? But she was pretty <laughs> I evil. I had to love her. Yeah. But yeah, I, you don't really know what you've lost till it's gone. <laughs> and I'm sure it opened doors as often as it closed them. Yeah. Okay. You're also a reader and you're our book reviewer today. You've been reading Catherine Chigi, uh, who is a name that will be familiar to many RNZ listeners. In fact, you've got a couple of books of hers that you've enjoyed. Indeed. I love Catherine Chigi. Mm. And in the Writers' Festival the other day, I uh, was very lucky. I was doing a couple of sessions and as a moderator, and that meant you get a lanyard. So you just walk in. <laughs> yeah. And I sat down right in the front, and I sat down next to this woman, and I looked at her, and then I went sideways, looking, <laughs> and, then, and then went, are you... And because I'm really bad at recognising famous people, I just sort of left it hanging and she went, Catherine Chidgey? No, yes. And then I just geeked out like this oh, big. I was cool. like, oh, my God, I just finished the X-Megas Carnival. It was so amazing. That is a great thing about New Zealand, right? If, if you have an author that you love, there's a good chance you'll get to Yeah, them, and, and you get answer. to tell them nice things because I think that is it's a really one of my greatest pleasures is telling people what I love their stuff. And if I don't like their stuff, I just won't say anything. I go, oh, isn't it a lovely day? Or something similarly innocuous. Yeah, I have to remember that. Um, (laughs) Was it the X-Men's Carnival that you discovered first? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, this is the thing. It was the first book I read of 2023. And because I loved it, I thought I am off to a rip-roaring start. But you can't imagine that when you've loved a book by someone that you'll see another one by them for so long. And for two in less than six months. So the X-Men's Carnival, the first book I read of the year, the narrator is a magpie Mm -hmm. called Tama, which you think could be a little bit twee or whimsical in the wrong hands. It would be, but not with Catherine Chidgey. So Tama falls out of his tree and he is rescued by a farmer's wife. So this is in the South Island in a high country farm by a farmer's wife called Marnie. And he, uh, she um, takes him home, but her husband, Rob, is not so enamored of the wild uh, (laughs) magpie. And he says Mm -hmm. that if it makes a noise in the night or keeps me awake, I'm going to wring its neck. Which isn't very nice. And um, <laughs> Tama realises that Rob's not a fan, so he sort of, you know, makes sure he keeps out of harm's way while simultaneously learning to speak in human language. Uh-huh. And so Tama's dad and family are out in the tree going, you watch out for those humans, they're bad, they're evil, you just stay away. But he doesn't listen, and he ingratiates himself with Marnie by being so engaging, chitty-chatty, and he says quite uh, pertinent things, ridiculous things, inappropriate things, and Marnie finds him adorable, and she feels quite isolated on the farm, partly because Rob's a knob, and um, 
So she starts taking little movies of him and putting them on the internet, and he becomes a bit of a sensation. <laughs> and so with things kind of not going very well on the farm, the farmer's not making very much money, things are sort of going to pot, and Rob isn't particularly nice. So Marnie's getting a great deal of comfort from Tama, and she puts him on the internet, he becomes a sensation, and they start making toys and merchandise, which turns one whole room that was meant for a baby that never came into the sort of merchandising room. They start making money. So Rob is sort of protected from killing uh, Tama because obviously he wants to keep making mm. money from him. Now, I'm just going to caution you against spoilers here. How far into the book oh, don't are you we? Worry, just, just I'm not people... going very far okay, at all now. Great, great, great. So, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's this dichotomy between, um, guys, in fact, I didn't want it, but a wonderful metaphor for the clash between nature and humans as they both predate on each other's <laughs> spaces. Yeah. And it's also a rumination on loneliness and longing and family violence. And there's this really riveting subplot of an X-Man's Carnival, which just opens up a whole world of, you know, of the woodchopping world, which is such a scene. <laughs> and it's so aggressive. You've got glinting axes sharply, you know. It just, it's quite threatening. And anyway, the denouement was so... It's such a page turner. You won't get a lot of sleep because right. you have to stay up late and read it. Yeah. And I'm not giving very much away. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. Because Good point, though. As you suggest, um, when you hear that it's narrated by a magpie, you might think, oh, it's going to be one of those very and experimental literary things that, that are, you know, that's going to feel like taking medicine to read. But if you can do something interesting like that and still make it a page turner, that's... She has such a... I mean, I feel I've loved her other books, but it's just like she's this marathon runner and now she can run ultra marathon. She just can just keep going and going and there's nothing stopping her from being extraordinary. But, oh, it also won the Occam. The yeah. Jan Medlicott uh, Prize. I'm not the only person who's raving about it. <laughs> and then, but you know, you'd think, oh, well, I loved that. I'll wait two years <laughs> for the next one. Yeah. And then I think even when I was sitting next to her, I was like, because I think it had just come out. Perhaps Kim Hill had interviewed her and mm-hmm. she said, Pet is coming out. And so I was a bit excited about that. And I just finished that quite recently. And Pet, oh my God, it's just as good. Yeah. And uh, so it's set in the 1980s at a Catholic primary school in Wellington. And everyone wants to be the teacher's pet. And Mrs. Price is a sort of glowing, gorgeous, charismatic teacher. She's beautiful. She drives a sports car. She dresses groovy. You know, she's just the most amazing. She's sort of this beacon of light in this convent school. And she also recently lost her husband and daughter in an accident. So she also has this kind of charisma come from, you know, from loss. And uh, she, during the school year, uh, the children all vie to be her pet and she gives them jobs you know to run errands for her to clean the blackboard or to even go to the chemist with her wallet and pick up her little brown pills which she seems very fond of (laughs) and generally be the chosen one and one student, Justine, is uh, particularly eager, as all the other children are, to be her pet. And also her mum has just died. So Justine is very, you know, obviously eager to have a maternal figure in her life. And um, Justine starts to be the chosen one. But this drives a wedge between her and her lovely little friend Amy. And it reminded me so much of the way that girls at school, and boys too, presumably, and all people, can be best friends and they're not best friends. And, you know, one day you're coming around to their house and you're yeah. in the bath together. And the yeah, next yeah. it's like, you yeah, know, I'm busy. I don't want to come around and it was just this pitch perfect evocation of friendships as they sort of unspool and 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 maybe can't be resuscitated but anyway so amy is also chinese her parents own the fruit shop and there's a sort of undercurrent of um the sort of racism that 
was pretty run of the mill in the 80s when people might say things you wouldn't dream of saying. It's said in the 80s, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there's a backdrop of Miss Universe pageants and love boat episodes (laughs) and Rubik's Cubes and like dental nurses who make little. Must be quite good fun, right? And for me, I grew up in that time. And and me as well. But for the the novelist too, to go, well, I'm going to create a world and bring all this stuff back to life. Oh, it was so good. And then the, the. the commentary of watching a Miss Universe competition. Her legs are too big. Her, yeah, oh, she's got, it just yeah, was yeah, so totally awful. awful. And anyway, so there's something not quite right, though, in the classroom. Things start to go missing. Everybody, a little treasure, one of the children, is like, who's doing it? And Miss Price or Mrs. Price um, has this terrible way of dealing with it where she tries to pit the children against each other. And um, she also cozies up to Justine's dad. And the next thing you know, anyway, I'm not going to give anything more away there either. <laughs> but it's so good. And again, the end is so gripping and she doesn't shy away from darkness does Catherine Chidgey she is such a great writer read them both and just don't uh, expect to get a lot of sleep because you'll stay up yeah Kate on tech says I just love the X-Men's Carnival I read it a few months ago and I couldn't put it down uh, someone else says the author has really done her research in that book and she has got the magpie voice down pat that's so cool. It's a nice compliment. I can't imagine what that means, but I'm sure that when I read it, I'll know what they're talking about. You'd have there. to know how magpie sounded. Yeah. I'll I wonder what's it. next. I mean, we should just, I should go and sit next to her at something again and just go, so I expect you have another book coming out in a few months. What is it? I said to my wife the other night, how's your book going? She goes, it's all right. Every second chapter is written from the perspective of a fig tree. <laughs> <laughs> Is she still reading it? So oh, I know that one. It's amazing. It's set in um, – oh, yes, I know. I loved it. It's very good. You wouldn't think that a tree <laughs> had words. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. Welcome. Elizabeth Easter, our book critic for Tuesday.